I want to welcome everyone to our online services today. I am so glad that you've chosen to give your time to watch today's service. The title is kind of uh, intriguing. It is the Passover and the pandemic. And I think as we go through the service today, you'll understand the connection between the two. And let me start by saying this, the Jewish Passover celebrated all over the world. The Jewish Passover ended this past Wednesday. That Passover celebration lasts seven days. It ran from April 9th to April 15th. Our Easter, the Christian Easter Resurrection Sunday was this past Sunday, and it happened to be our celebration of Easter, the Resurrection Sunday of Jesus Christ, was in the middle of the Jewish Passover celebration, right in the middle. The Jewish people in Israel were pretty much locked down during their entire uh, Passover time. They were unable to celebrate publicly the Passover because of, you know why, the uh, pandemic, the coronavirus. And while they were under this uh, social lockdown by their government officials during Passover, a very curious thing happened. On Passover Eve, April 8th, it, re it really caught my attention Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu went on Israeli television and he said this, on the evening of the Passover Seder, it is forbidden to go out from your house. That's what he announced to the nation on Passover Eve, April the 8th. What's curious about that statement is that is the same statement that Moses made to the people of Israel some 3,000 years earlier on the first Passover Eve, almost word for word. Now, you tell me that's not a little creepy in the midst of a pandemic that the prime minister of Israel makes the same statement. Now, I can't imagine whether he did that on purpose because he knows the Holy Scriptures and the story of Moses or whether that was uh, just something that happened. I don't know. But let me read it to you. Let's go back to Exodus. Let's back up 3,000 years in time from the time of today and go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 when that original Passover Eve happened and the original Moses this time Passover Eve statement was made. Exodus 12, 22. Drain the blood into a basin then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it in the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. And no one may go out through the door until morning. Now, that's the Jewish Passover. What about the church? What about Easter? What about Resurrection Sunday? We celebrated this past week. The churches around the world, including Nineveh Christian Church, were also pretty much locked down and unable to publicly celebrate Easter because of that same pandemic of the coronavirus. Now, I'm convinced, understand this, I'm convinced that the Passover, 
the Jewish Passover, which finds its origin when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, is actually a preview or a shadow of Jesus and the events of Passion Week that we celebrated this past week, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. I'm convinced that the entire Jewish Passover 3,000 years ago in the time of Moses is a shadow, a, a reflection of, a, of the event itself, which will be the coming of Christ. Our public gatherings and celebrations, Jewish Passover, Christian Easter, have all been interrupted. All for the same reason. All because of a pandemic. This has caused me to think deeply. And I want to talk about that connection today. Because I'm convinced that there's a serious and prophetic connection between this pandemic and the Passover and Easter week. There's a connection. It isn't just coincidental. It isn't happenstance. Something's happening. So that's why I've titled today the Passover and the pandemic. Is there a connection? And is there something revealed inside the Word of God that will help us to understand and put the pieces together about what's happening in our world today? And it just so happens to be happening during the time of the Passover and the resurrection and people are locked down in the middle of it all. We need to go to the beginning or the origin of the Passover to begin our search for truth today. I want to go back more than 400 years before the first Passover in Egypt when Moses made that statement, and no one may go out through the door until morning. I want to go back to Abraham and the prophetic promise of God to Abraham. The Holy Scripture holds it not only holds the secrets of our past, it also holds the secrets of our future. We'll pick up the story of Abraham with a question from Abraham to the Lord. Again, I repeat, more than 400 years before the first Passover, there's a question from Abraham to the Lord. It's found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 3. Abraham talking to God. You have given me no descendants, no children of my own. So one of my servants will have to be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, to Abraham, no. No, Abraham. Your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord did something. Remember, this is 400 years, more than 400 years before that first Passover. Then the Lord did something. He told Abram, his name would eventually be Abraham. He, told, he took Abram outside and said to him, took him outside the tent and said, look up into the sky. And count the stars if you think you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Not through your servant, Eleazar, through a son that I'm going to give you. Look up. Look up, Abraham. Look up. 
You're looking down. You're looking inside your own capability, your own world, your own power. Look up. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Abraham thinks he needs to take matters into his own hands. He's looking down. He's not looking up. He needs to take matters into his own hands. And he needs to tell God how he's going to work this covenant promise out. He's going to make Eliezer his servant, his heir. But God does something that has great application for us today. He looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, you need to look up to heaven. I think God wants us to look up today. Don't look so much upon our circumstances and what's going on in our life, how we're going to work things out to get to the end or work things out to get through this something that we're in right now. Look up. You don't need to take matters into your own hands. Look up. Abraham looked up into the night sky and something happened. Abraham has encountered God. He looks up into the night sky under the instruction of God and something happened. It's recorded. It changes the world. Abraham believed God. That's a lot of stars. That's a lot of kids. It's especially a lot of kids when you don't have one. Not one. And you're old. And your wife is old. He believed God. Something that would change all of humanity. Abraham believed God and that act of believing God, that act of hearing the word, receiving the word, believing the word, accepting the word as truth. Inevitable, absolute truth. It made Abraham right with God. It's called faith. It's how a person can be made right with God. Assuming that without that believing God faith moment, you're not right with God. You're wrong with God. Even after that faith moment, here's where it gets interesting. Abraham looks up into the night sky and he sees the stars. He heard the word of God. He believed God. The Bible says he believed God. But even after that faith moment, even after that believing the stars moment, Abraham said this, and we must all focus on this question to God that night. He's going to ask God a question. Remember, this is more than 400 years before that first Passover in Egypt. There are, in this scene, Abraham looking up into the sky, there are no Israelites. There are no Jewish people. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a lineage. All he has is a promise. He has God's word. Abraham, we know to be the, the father of the Jewish people. But in this scene, he hasn't had Isaac yet. The son has not come. And we know on the other side, we're looking way, way, way back that they are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Look at the question that arises, Genesis 15, 8. But Abram replied. Now he's just looked at the stars. 
He's received the promise. He believed God. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Now, the it is two things. He's just been told that I took you from Ur of the Chaldeans and put you in this place. He's in the promised land. But he doesn't have any family to occupy the promised land. How can I be sure I can possess it? How can I be sure? Abraham believed God and yet he has this question. How can I be sure? Is this you today? I know I've got the word of God. I've got the promises of God. But how can I be sure that I will possess it? How can I be sure that it's mine personally? And God does something in that moment that makes everything sure. And you've got to understand this if you're ever going to understand Passover, if you're ever going to stand the cross. You've got to understand this. In that moment with Abraham, when Abraham says, how can I be sure that I will possess this? God does something that makes everything sure. It's called a covenant promise. And this is big. This covenant promise is sealed and in blood, sealed in a messy blood scene. Are you ready for this? Are you sure? Remember, this is more than 400 years before that first Passover when the blood of the lamb covered the people of Israel and Egypt and death passed over them, setting them free to enter the promised land. This is more than 400 years before that. So let's go to Genesis 15, verse 9. Next verse. The Lord told him, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I will possess this? The Lord told him, bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him, to God, and killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle and laid their halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness. That that word moves me. As Abram, in the midst of this scene, falls into a deep sleep, a terrifying darkness came down over Abram, Abraham. This is how God, listen carefully, this is how God answers this question. How can I be sure that I will possess this? What's this? There's a land promise and there's a son promise. Not just a son singular, but a son through which There will be so many children that they will become like the stars in the sky. How can I be sure? And you know what God's answer is? Blood, blood, blood. Blood is everywhere in this scene. There's the blood of a heifer and the blood of a goat and the blood of a ram. Blood everywhere. God is going to enter into a life and death eternal Blood covenant with Abraham. Life and death. What is this whole blood scene about? This picture beside me. What is this whole blood scene about? Why does this covenant have to have blood? Blood is the issue of life 
The book of Leviticus says that the life of a person, a human, is in his blood. Blood is life. And what's about to happen is life and death. A promise about life and death. Notice that Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him there. Blood, death, terror, darkness. What's in the scene? Blood, death, terror, darkness, and a covenant promise between God and a man named Abraham. It is in this moment that God announces the details of the future of Abraham. The secret is being unlocked. The future that would bring the Passover, more than 400 years in the future. After Abraham is gone, after he's dead, 400 years in the future, God's going to announce a series of events. This is the future promise of God for Abraham. Actually, it's going to be for his great-grandchildren, for Jacob and, the, the, his 11, and the, uh, Joseph and the 11 brothers, and, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. Next verse, verse 13. And then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure. How did this start? How can I be sure? And now what's God say? You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers. Are you hearing me? Your descendants, these like the numbers in the stars in the sky, are going to be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. You can be sure that there's people coming from your body, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons. There's people coming from your body who will eventually become Slaves or strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. And you can be sure. Verse 14, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Don't, don't read over that. It'll take 400 years. And when the 400 years is over, God says, I'm going to come and punish them. I'm going to come and do something. And then he says, when I do it, these slaves, your descendants, will leave with great wealth. Verse 15, but as for you, Abraham, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. And after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. Now, this is really big. You've got to get this. Where's Abraham? When he's getting this covenant promise from God, he's in the promised land. And after 400 years, after four generations of these people who will be in Egypt, that your descendants will return to this land. Remember the question, how can I be sure I'll possess this? That was a question about the land, and that was a possession about the, the descendants, the no, numerous children. You will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Your descendants will leave Canaan and become slaves in a foreign land, Egypt, for 400 years. The future is being established by God. The sins of the Amorites who lived in the promised land will be sufficient to warrant their destruction after four generations. 
So you can come back and take possession of the promised land after those four generations. The coming 400 years have just been sealed by the covenant promise of God to Abraham. God is looking to Abraham and answering his question. How can I be sure that I'll possess it? And God's answer is you can be sure and I'll tell you in advance what it's going to look like. I'll even tell you the number of years. Sealed in blood, sealed in death, sealed in terror, sealed in darkness between God and a man named Abraham. The Bible says that the number of Abraham's family. Now, now we know that after that event, Abraham goes to his wife Sarah and they conceive and have a son. His name's Isaac. So time passes on. And the number of Abraham's family has grown from, from, from Abraham and Sarah. Now there's 70, 70 people in the family. That's a pretty good-sized family, but that's not as numerous as the stars in the sky, not yet. When they first went to Egypt in the time of Joseph, we get a, a number. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22. So you can understand, from the time of Abraham to the time of Joseph, when he's taken, uh, he's sold into slavery into Egypt, and eventually becomes the prime minister, and Jacob, his daddy, moves the family to Egypt. They're not slaves yet. Actually, they're being treated well in the beginning. Look at the number. Verse 22. When your ancestors went down to, into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as what? What's the analogy? What's the, what's the comparison? As numerous as the stars in the sky. I can hear God saying, you can be sure I will keep my word. Because you know what it's estimated at? 400 years. They, they go into Egypt with 70 people. Four generations, 400 years later, it's estimated there are more than 2 million Israelites in Egypt. You can be sure 70 is now 2 million. You can be sure that God will keep his promises. Now, this one man in the story, Abraham, some 400 years plus, now the main story, the main man in the story will become Moses. The covenant blood promise of God has already been established through Abraham. The 70 Israelites have become millions, and now they are slaves under Pharaoh. It's time for the people of Israel to leave Egypt to fulfill the promise of God to Abraham. Now it's time. The four generations have come. 400 years have taken place. It's time for the people of Israel to leave Egypt, to plunder Egypt and take possession. They're going to leave Egypt and go to the promised land where Abraham originally had the conversation with God. They're going home. But this time, the time of the first Passover, listen carefully. The time of the first Passover has come. More than 400 years after God's prophetic promise to Abraham. But before the Passover, before the blood of the Lamb on the doors of the children of God, before the death angel comes down to bring 
death to Egypt's firstborn, before God would bring judgment upon the people of Egypt, before God would bring judgment upon the people of Egypt and Pharaoh himself. Listen carefully. Here's the connection. He would bring judgment on Egypt's false gods before he would bring judgment upon the Egyptians. Are you hearing me? I told you there's a connection between what's happening in our world today and what's happened in the world past, a revelation of a secret, something you and I I need to understand. Before the judgment of God would come to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, to the people, it would come to the false gods of Egypt. Why? To reveal the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Moses. Before God brought judgment to the people in Egypt, God brought judgment on their false gods that they had entrusted their lives to. This is big, and this has great relevance to us today in the world that is living in idolatry. And we happen to be in a pandemic. And I'll tell you in advance, there's another word that you can use for pandemic. You could call it a plague. Maybe now you'll understand the connection. Have you ever thought about this before? This is how the prophet Isaiah describes it, okay? Isaiah, in Isaiah 19, verse 1. This message came to me concerning Egypt. The Lord is advancing against Egypt. What's he going to do to Egypt? The Lord is advancing against Egypt, riding on a swift cloud. The idols, notice who is the Lord's focus. The idols of Egypt are trembling. The hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. Why would you melt your heart melt with fear? Because the gods in which you thought could save you cannot save you when the Lord comes. Before God brings judgment upon the people in Egypt, he brings judgment upon their idols, those foolish things that they had previously entrusted their lives to. Let me give you some examples. Make sure you understand where I'm going today. I want to give you some examples from Moses in his time in Egypt before the Passover. Egypt worshipped serpents. One of their, they had many gods that they worshipped. One of the gods that they worshipped were serpents. Do you think it's a coincidence that God told Moses in advance to throw down your staff and your staff will become a serpent? Now, when he goes to Pharaoh the first time and he throws down his staff, Pharaoh mocks him and his magicians, Janus and Jambres, they come out and they, they throw down and somehow or another their staff becomes a serpent too. But what happened? In the presence of Pharaoh, what happened to the serpents of Egypt? Moses' snake, which is God's snake, ate the serpents of Pharaoh of Egypt. Doing what? Proving which God was the true God. Before God brings judgment to the people, listen to me, before God brought judgment to the people in the time of Egypt, he brought judgment to the idols of Egypt, revealing the true God, 
humiliating the false gods. Give me, let me give you another example. Egypt worshipped the Nile River as a source of life. And what did Moses do? What did God do through Moses? He turned it to blood. Now, what do you think that means? He turned it to blood. He turned it to death. Because when it turned to blood, everything in the river began to die. Proving what? God's bringing his judgment upon the idols of Egypt before he ever brings his judgment upon the people. Egypt worshipped the sun. They worshipped the sun god called Ra. And what did God do? The ten plagues. What did God do? God turned the sun dark for three days, proving what? That God of yours cannot stand in the presence of the one true God, revealing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses. Finally, Egypt worshipped Pharaoh. Pharaoh was considered a god. And what did God do in response to the idolatry of a man claiming or believing or acting like he's a god himself? God did the ultimate to Pharaoh. He took his firstborn son. This is the basis of the Passover. He took his firstborn son. Actually, what, what did that mean? Basically, he's removing the future of Egypt by taking, taking the future king, the future Pharaoh, and killing him. Proving what? All of these are false gods. They can't save you when the true God comes. In those ten plagues of Egypt, God publicly humiliated and destroyed all the false gods of the Egyptians and thus revealed the one true God. Now everyone stop for a moment in the story and think about that statement. God used plagues to destroy the false gods of the people in the time of Moses and Egypt in that first Passover event. God used plagues to humiliate the false gods that the people had entrusted their lives to. God used plagues to reveal the fact that there's only one true God. And he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses. And what was the grand finale in Egypt, the ten plagues. And what was the grand finale of it that ended all the plagues of Egypt? What was it? The Passover. Did anybody see it yet? You see, the Passover is when God came to bring the ultimate judgment on the firstborn of Egypt. The ultimate judgment on the firstborn of Egypt, taking away. Listen, when you take the firstborn of the king, you have taken away their future. God would reveal in that moment a present and future revelation of a covenant of blood. I'm going to say it again. In that moment, in the Egyptian Passover, in the time of Moses... God was revealing a future event, a covenant of blood. The blood of a lamb will cause death and judgment to pass over you. A blood, the blood of a lamb will have sufficient power to cause death, a plague, the judgment of God to pass over you. Exodus 12 verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. 
We're talking about the Passover, the first Passover. Be fully dressed and wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. And I will execute judgment. Please don't read over this. I, God, will execute judgment against what? First, against what? All the gods of Egypt. Before he ever brought judgment to the people, he demonstrated his power by bringing judgment upon the gods that the people had entrusted their lives to in pagan idolatry. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. He's a jealous God. You shall have no idols, nothing in my place, no graven images, nothing that takes the place in your heart, in your life, that I should have. I will execute judgment upon everything that you have put in my place. I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood... When the judgment of God comes, when the plagues and the judgment of God come upon the the false gods and eventually upon the people who bow to the false gods, and when I see the blood, I will do something. I will pass over you. The plague of death, the plague, the plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. The plague. The judgment of God condemned some. Listen, this is a part I find incredible. The judgment, the plague of God, the judgment of God condemned some and it set others free at the same time. Some were condemned in that moment and some were set free in the same moment. The plague, the judgment of God revealed the true God and it revealed the false gods of pagan idolatry. It was all prophesied. It was all sealed in a blood covenant some 400 years in advance. It was unstoppable. It was all written down in advance so that you could know the truth. And the truth would set you free. And it came to pass, just as it had been prophesied to Abraham more than 400 years in advance. And I can hear Abraham saying, how can I be sure that I will possess it? And God said, you can be sure, you can know. And then he outlines the 400 years of bondage. The judgment of God came to the idols of Egypt. Judgment and mercy. Listen, you got to get this. Judgment and mercy were in the same scene. It depended upon which gods, which God you had trusted. Judgment and and mercy in the same event. That same judgment of God set the people of Israel free. They would now be free to enter the promised land and experience the 400-year-old covenant promise of God through Abraham. Let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verse 3. They set out from the city of Ramses in early spring. On the 15th day of the first month, on the morning after the first 
Passover celebration. Now, here's what I want you to get before I keep going. This event, this plague, this judgment of God was killing some people and it was setting other people free. It's the same event. God's love and his mercy and his wrath and his judgment in the same scene. And what separated the two was the blood of a lamb. Do you see it? Can you see it? Let me go back to verse 3. They set out from the city of Ramses in early spring on the 15th day of the first month. On the morning after the first Passover celebration, the people of Israel left defiantly in full view of the Egyptians. Can you imagine? Those people never knew what it was like to be free. Their daddies were slaves and their grandfathers were slaves. And that's all they ever knew was bondage. And all they ever knew was slavery. And now the blood of the lamb has set them free. And it says this. I love this. The people of Israel left defiantly in full view of the Egyptians. And meanwhile, what are the Egyptians doing while the Israelites are leaving in a triumphant return to the promised land? The Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed the night before. Two groups of people with totally different outcomes in the exact same event. And what separated the two groups of people? The blood of a lamb. The Lord had defeated what? Don't read over it. The Lord had defeated the gods of Egypt. That night with great acts of judgment. I want to say it one more time. Listen. Before God brought judgment to the people individually, he brought judgment to the gods that they had put their trust in instead of the one true God. God's judgment had come to Egypt. The first Passover had come. Judgment and mercy in the same scene. Death did not pass over Egypt or Egypt's false gods. Did you hear me? Death, the ultimate judgment of God, did not pass over Egypt. It did not pass over Egypt's false gods. But Passover had set the people of Israel free. This Passover also created one of the largest transfers of wealth in history. Are you listening? This Passover initiated a great supernatural transfer of wealth. Do you remember the prophecy of God to Abraham more than 400 years before this Passover? The book of Genesis records the before. The book of Exodus records the supernatural after. So let me read the before. 400 plus years before, Genesis 15, 14. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. God saw it in advance. They will plunder Egypt as they leave Egypt. All of the wealth created from their idolatry, it will slip through their fingers. It'll all be gone. Slaves will receive and take possession of the wealth of Egypt in the first Passover. 
Now let's go look at the after. Exodus 3 verse 20. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let them go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you, and they will give you gifts when you go, so that you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from foreign women in their houses. And you will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Why in the world would the Egyptians hand their treasure to the Israelites as they leave town? You can be sure. All of this came from a question. Abraham said, how can I be sure that I will possess this? And God says, you will be sure. And in God's answer, you can be sure. He reveals the 400 years and the Passover. The covenant of promises of God are sure and they are certain. And all the wealth of Egypt was transferred to the departing children of Israel at the Passover. Their false gods couldn't save them. And Egypt lost everything at the Passover. The Passover made some people rich and the Passover made some people poor. Mercy and judgment both in the same event. The Passover. I told you earlier that this Passover in Egypt was only a shadow, a preview of the coming Christ. 1,000 years in the future in front of Moses. The ultimate blood of the Lamb. God's covenant to Abraham began with what? Blood and darkness. This Passover in Egypt was accomplished by the blood of a Lamb in the midst of the darkness of death. Exodus 12, 13. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign. A sign. Marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, this is not just a, an event of 3,000 years ago. This is a prophetic announcement about the coming of Messiah. When I see the blood, this is an eternal promise of God. You can be sure forever and ever when I see the blood of the Lamb. I will pass over you. No judgment, no death, no plague. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, all of that history, and I know it's a lot of history. We can move on to the real point today about Passover. The Jews in Israel this past week could not publicly celebrate the Passover because of this pandemic, this plague that's moving around the earth. The church, we were not able to publicly celebrate Passion Week this past week either. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, the biggest weekend of the year for the church because we also were in this worldwide pandemic or plague. And what is this pandemic or plague called coronavirus? What is it revealing? Has anybody picked up on it yet? What is it revealing? What is being affected by this pandemic right now? Initially, ultimately, 
what is being initially affected by the pandemic. People ask me, uh, one of the most frequent questions since this started is, is this a judgment of God? Now, I know that many people have different opinions about that. So let me say something. I read a poll this past week by Joel Rosenberg. Uh, it was done under the, uh, under the authority of the Joshua Fund. In that poll, he said 44% of Americans believe this pandemic is a wake-up call from God to turn back to him while there's time. 44% of Americans believe this, is, this pandemic is a wake-up call from God. That same poll said that nearly one-third of Americans consider this pandemic as evidence that we are living in the last days. That this is one of the signs of the, the birth pains that Jesus talks about before the return of Christ. One more number. 56% of church pastors polled said this pandemic was evidence of the soon return of Christ, possibly in their lifetime. When I studied God's response to Egypt and the Passover, one thing became very clear to me. I hope you've picked on it, up on it by now. When I took the Word of God, not my emotions, when I took the Word of God and I studied the, what, what God did in the past in relationship to the Passover that we, that we just now went through in the world, celebrating the blood of the Lamb, one thing became very clear to me. God brings judgment upon the idols of man as He brings judgment and deliverance upon the people. I will say it again. God brings judgment upon the idols of mankind as he brings judgment and deliverance upon the people. God brings judgment upon the idols to reveal their inability to save you so that people, so that in God's mercy, people can turn to the one who can save you. The Passover lamb is revealed in God's judgment, because His mercy comes in the time of judgment. So let me ask you a question. Be honest. Please be honest. Have any idols been taken down in our world lately? Have you seen any idols falling? What about sports? What about money? Listen carefully. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with sports until sports becomes your idol, the pursuit and the priority of your life. We've had this conversation now for several years in the staff that it is so hard now for parents to get their kids involved in many things in the church because sports has become the all-everything goal of life. We can't do this, we can't do that because we're playing ball. We're doing this. We're traveling with this team. And listen, I've got no problem with sports at all. I think it's good. In fact, let me read 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul's writing. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Let me tell you, there are no sports that can save you. And you know what we're seeing right now in America? The NBA closed and 
and then all the, the, all the March madness and the basketball and all of it's just, just falling. It's just falling. It's just falling, all of it. They're all losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's just crumbling. And I looked at the Passover 3,000 years ago, and before God brought judgment to the people, he brought his judgment to the idols of the people. See, I don't think there's anything wrong with money until money becomes your idol in the pursuit of your life. We've gone from an, an environment to where people were satisfied with just having enough. That enough is enough. And now the idea of enough is not enough. Now the idea is you have to accumulate wealth. And I ask you a question, how much is enough? How much would it take to make you satisfied? It's always interesting to me when God took these children of Israel out of Egypt through the Passover and he, he takes them toward the promised land and they're in the wilderness and God tries to teach them something that we need to learn today. God brought manna, bread from heaven to them and every day he gave them enough. And he tried to train a group of people to depend upon him to give them enough. Every day enough is enough. And if you hoarded it and you took too much of it, it rotted and it, and it stank. And you had to throw it out. But he always gave enough. And I'm going to tell you, that manna, it lasted them the entire time through the wilderness, the 40 years. And when they entered the promised land, crossed the Jordan River, the Bible says that on that day, the manna from heaven stopped. He's enough. He's enough. In Colossians 3, verse 5, God's word says this. Put to death. This is life and death, folks. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Because all of them lead you to idolatry. They lead you to substitutes. They lead you to depend upon something other than the one that saves have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And don't be greedy. For a greedy person is what? From God's perspective, a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, which all lead to idolatry, the first and the second of the Ten Commandments are all about idolatry. A substitute God. Because of these things, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. We're watching right now. We're watching much of the world's wealth disappear overnight in this pandemic. And people tell me that their 401ks have vanished. Stock markets are crashing. People are in a panic because they see their false gods can't actually save them from these current events. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you based on this, one day the wealth of the earth is going to be transferred to the children of God. All of it. All of it. I began today by telling you that God prophesied the Passover event to Abraham more than 400 years in advance. Now I want to tell you about a prophecy of God for our time, the last days. Romans chapter 1 reveals the condition of mankind in the last hours of the last day. 
Not a specific 400-year prophecy, but still a prophecy of the end time with great details. And I want to read to you what you can know for sure. Romans 1.18. But God shows his anger. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and they've seen the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. Listen, church, but they wouldn't worship him. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so God did something. He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served substitutes. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. In Egypt, God destroyed the idols before and during the Passover. The judgment of God and the mercy of God were in the same scene. One last thing before I close today. I find it interesting that the Israelites locked themselves in their houses at that first Passover as the death angel passed through Egypt. That locked in your own house thing is quite similar to this past week's Passover and our Easter. Especially when you consider that Israeli prime minister's statement matched Moses' statement 300 years, 3,000 years earlier, almost word for word. The Passover in Egypt was the deliverance of some. Listen, the Passover in Egypt was the deliverance of some and the destruction of others in the same event. Do you know what the difference between the two was and is today? The blood of the Lamb. 3,000 years after Moses, and the difference today is still the same. The blood of the Lamb. And idols are falling. But the blood of the Lamb will separate those who have depended upon idols, substitutes, and those who have trusted in the blood of the Lamb. In 1 Peter 1.19, Peter reveals the ultimate Passover. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, 
God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. The idols of man are falling and the world is experiencing an unprecedented event. And I'm going to ask everyone who's hearing my voice today, are you paying attention? Do you need to wake up? This is what Jesus said to the church, to the church in Sardis in Revelation. Revelation 3, 2. Wake up. I think this is God's moment. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. And I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Do you understand? He's talking to a church. I find that your actions, your life, does not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Can you see and understand these times? Remember that poll by Joel Rosenberg? 44% of Americans believe this is a wake-up call of God. Notice this compelling scripture from the Apostle John in Revelation. A prophetic revelation of future events that will take place in the tribulation. But they might very well reflect the condition of the lost before the tribulation ever gets here. In Revelation 9 verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues. Does anybody hear me? Now he's talking specifically about the tribulation. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refuse to repent. They still refuse to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of idols, idols, idols. Made of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders and their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. I hear much talk and much response about this pandemic. Everybody's got an idea. You know what I don't hear much? Repentance. People are looking for a medical cure or a government plan to set us free from this sickness that leads many to death itself. Everyone wants to go back to normal, right? I like to go back to normal. Before the plague, back to the way it used to be. But understand something. Before the plague, the people of Egypt were slaves and so were you. There's many people that this plague, this pandemic, it's going to wake them up. And you're not going to want to go back to the way it was when you were asleep. Because you were a slave then. You just didn't see it. You see, the plague brought the Passover. Is anybody hearing me? The plague brought the Passover. And the Passover set us free. 
So I don't want to go back to where people were sleeping. I want to go back to when we can join together and worship together the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I don't want to go back to the way it was if that means you can be asleep when the plagues come. Egypt before the Passover isn't an option for us because that will end in death and eternal separation from God. 1 John verse one, chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, church, listen to me. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Is there a cure to this sickness that leads to death? How can I be sure? I hear Abraham say, and I hear God say today, look up. Yes, the blood of the lamb is absolute, 100% cure of death and offers eternal life. By faith, it all began with faith, and it will all end with faith. Do you believe in the Passover, the blood of the Lamb, the spotless Lamb of God? Today, we celebrate the Passover Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the death angel. God's judgment is coming one day, and when he sees the blood of the Lamb over our house, over our life, he will pass over us. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Abraham said, and how can I be sure that I will possess it? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and it's called faith. And faith is being sure and faith is being certain, sure and certain of what Jesus Christ is our Passover. I am sure. I am certain. Father, I thank you for your word that not only reveals the secrets of the past, but your word through the Holy Spirit reveals the secrets of our future. Father, we repent of our sins, of our idols, of our substitutes, of the things that have distracted us from the one true God. We look up today. We turn our face toward you today. We confess our sin and ask you to have mercy upon us today. Open our eyes, awaken your church, put oil in our lamp, and make us ready for the Passover, in Jesus' name, and amen.